five, four, three, two, one, zero. All engine running. Liftoff. We have a liftoff. You're listening to Tabletop and Beyond with your host, Justin. But before we get started, how was your geek week? And co-hosts, Dan and Jason. You have to be willing to let the dice help you tell the story. Okay, look, this year, I'm going to stop mispronouncing words. Join us as we cover board games to war games and beyond. And welcome back to Tabletop and Beyond. I am your host, Justin. I am joined by Jason today. Hey! And we've got a special guest with us, Jason. A longtime player. We've mentioned him several times on this podcast. Yes, we have. I hope you've listened, Nick, because um, we have talked about you several times here. Yes, we have praised you many times. <laughs> well, greetings, travelers. <laughs> well, Welcome to the show, formally. This is your first time with us. Yes, and as this is your first time, it's a tryout. So, first time yeah, in person. That's true. That's true. This is a tryout. So uh, if you do well, maybe you'll come back again. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I'll give it my best shot. No, it's a... Uh, it, See, now all the people who haven't come back a second time are wondering. Yeah, what did I do wrong? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, no, I, uh, we're, we're happy to have you. We are talking about the Icewind Dale Rime of the Frost Maiden today. We just finished our campaign. Uh, about a week ago, and we thought that this week would be a great time to give our thoughts, impressions, and kind of a recap of the campaign. So uh, Nick has been gaming with us, obviously, as we've mentioned, for a long, long time. He was with us on that campaign from the beginning, and we're excited to hear what you think about the campaign mm -hmm. uh, as a veteran RPG or yourself. Okay. So before we get started, uh, Nick, how was your Geek Week? Uh, mine was very eventful. Ooh. I've, in addition to finishing up the Rime of the Frost Maiden with my current group that you guys are in, I started another group with my kids and their friends, a party of eight. Oh. Yep. That's and a big party. What that campaign is a big are you party. running? The Rime of the Frost Maiden. We oh, just nice. just started. So we're, ah. we're, we're in the Tourmaline Mines at the moment. Oh, very good. Are you DMing this? Y yes. So you guys started at the same place that we did? Yes. That's, wow. I, that's I did. so weird. <laughs> yep. <laughs> <laughs> that's funny. That's funny. Um, well, yeah, that's good. In addition, I've we just uh, had a round of our um, West March where we went to a space station to uh, remove some people who were doing some bad things. And uh, I was my uh, usual crazy self. And uh, so that was a lot of fun. Um, on the toy front, um, NECA has released uh, two uh, figures reminiscent of the uh, LJN 1980s Dungeons & Dragons characters. Um, they released um, War Duke and uh, Grimsword. Now, Grimsword, Grimsword was from the second uh, release that um, that was given from Dungeons and Dragons. So um, they are available to be pre-ordered at the moment. Um, there is no information if there will be more characters, but I am hopeful that there are more. Yeah. 
I'm looking at them right now. They look awesome. And then we switch over to Ramen Toy. Ramen Toy has been taking the licenses of old 80s toys, which is where I live in the 80s, <laughs> and um, been re-releasing them. So right now, um, they have the, they call them the Commanders, but if you lived in the 80s, they would have been Centurions. And uh, they have released them, and they also released the Apache Commander, uh, which was one of the toys that was not made uh, for the Centurions. They're also uh, releasing the uh, cyborgs, the antagonist cyborgs, the bad guys for them, and they have come in two different flavors. You can get the 80s version, which is more of the cartoon, and then you can get a more up-to-date. Um, oh, cool. Basically, the differences, one may be a little bit lighter color than the other, but they're exactly the same. Um, yeah, these aren't cheap toys, too. I mean, this is looking at like a hundred buck, hundred plus. That is correct. Yep. Yeah. Yep. And um, right now, uh, Super Seven has the license for Silverhawks, but um, they did give uh, Ramen Toys the ability to do some Silverhawks. So right now, they have done uh, Quicksilver and Monstar. Yeah. And uh, those are incredible looking. I see I them all these. over the internet. And and uh, now these are the uh, seven inch ones, so they're going to be bigger than the ones from the eighties. And uh, they just look fantastic because they have a more of a metal finish. And and then the last one, which I'm very excited about, is called makina, which is a Japanese word, um, but it's really mask. The toys from the eighties where all the vehicles changed into other things like planes and yep you bet okay okay and uh they're starting to uh work that now of course i have i'm backing all of this foolishness but uh, you already got you've got you probably have all the original mass toys oh don't yes you? yes yeah. i do that's right yep. i've seen them <laughs> yep and so uh yeah that's my week yeah, I remember, um, if some of you may have remembered in the past, we talk about a friend of ours who has uh, a huge 80s toy collection. This is Nick. This is the one and only. I think in the the, your, the room of your house that has all your collectibles, I don't think I've seen, you can see any wall in that room. No. Because it's just nope. totally, you know, you've got all, and most of them, most of them are in packaging still, That too, is right? correct, yeah. yes. It's pretty impressive, a collection. Um I geek out every time I set foot in there. <laughs> Thank you. Yeah, absolutely. Even you know the thing. You know what's funny is the ones that that draw me back every time are the uh, the He-Man ones where when you punch their chest, their chest flips to oh, show yeah. damage. Oh yeah. Yep. Battle right. damage. Yep. Yeah. Battle damage. Yeah. Good stuff. Man, that was awesome back in the day. Oh Anyways. yeah, those are great. Those are great. Jason, how was your geek week? Uh, my Geek Week was uh, fun, man. So downloaded, I think you pointed out that uh, on uh, released on multiple platforms, TMNT, Shredder's Revenge, uh, had cross-play. Cross so a bunch of us got on to play. Uh, f interestingly, even though we all got excited about cross-play, uh, none of us have played across platforms yet. Uh, right. one, one, of our, one of our buddies has tried. Interesting point, actually, it is cross-play from the PC to the Xbox, but only through Games Pass. So if you get it through Steam, you cannot play cross-play with an Xbox player at this time. Maybe they'll fix that, but not right now. 
Yeah, you uh, have to download it on the Windows platform. Yep, Windows platform. I'll yeah. tell you this, though, man. Super fun game. I mean, So much fun. So much fun. And I, the other night I played it uh, with my girls, and it's one of those games where you can play online or you can have local as well. So I had uh, I had me and my girls and online people were jumping in and out, and we were – you know, we were battling uh, uh, Bebop and Rocksteady and, and you know, uh, Wingnut and all those, just all those, you know, nostalgic uh, TMNT uh, villains. But the gameplay is so, it's it's so good. Uh, I mean, it, it's, it's quick, it's responsive, but it still has a retro feel. And it's one of those, like, button mashers where the screen is just going wild. Like, at some yeah. point, you have no idea where your character is. You just know he's somewhere behind those explosions of, pists, of fists and, and kicks and things. But you're just mashing that button. Screen's shaking. There's, you know, just, it's so much fun. Highly recommended if you have Games Pass. Uh, if not, I don't know how much it is on Steam right now, but still, if you like that but, uh, nostalgic button masher, way to go. And I'll tell you this. They did such a good job with the um, cutscenes, feeling like the old cartoons and the old cutscenes oh, yeah. from, like, Turtles in Time uh, yep. there. So they, they knew what audience they were gearing this for. Yeah, in fact, I, I asked you about it. I was like, is this just a re like is this kind of like a remastered version of an old game because like it totally felt like the games i had played in the yeah. early 90s late 80s right um where you know my friend and i would get on the super nintendo and i mean you know if you've ever played double dragon like this is it you know except teenage mutant ninja turtle style and uh you know so so many great memories of just like playing and my son was watching the other day and he's like this is fun, and I'm like, this is a blast. Oh, like, yeah. this is so much fun. <laughs> so yeah, my girls were loving yeah. it too, and it's, and um, you know, there's a lot. They did some really cool stuff with, uh, you know, kind of a power meter and combos, and um, you can go into radical mode if you get your power meter all the way up, where you're just doing all sorts of crazy stuff. Um, the other day, I was, you know, I was playing la uh, the other night with uh, some rando guy and. You know, it's one of those games where you can just drop in and out randomly during the game. You don't have to start together. And yeah. it gives you it really gives you that coin op feel like somebody just walks up, throws a quarter in, plays, they play till mm -hmm. their lives run out, and then they walk away. It just it feels like that on, you know, a modern platform. So good good times. So much fun. So much yeah. fun. The last thing I did was I got a hold of the uh, Army Painter uh, speed paint starter set. Uh, because I want to paint my deep madness. Uh, core set so I this past weekend I took all of the minis from the core set which I think are on the order of about 60 or 70 minis in the core set and I you know put them out all out on a plank and primed them all gave them all zenithal highlight and now I've started hitting them with the uh, the speed paints and uh, dude it's so easy to I'll tell you it's so easy to do this when you have speed paints and you have many minis that are all kind of the same. So you can mm -hmm. you can pick you can pick a uh, color scheme which is like one to two. Well, maybe I'll say two to three of the speed paints, and um, you can just hit them real quick to really knock them out. And I remember if some of you listened to our Warcry episode, um, our last one, our Dan, um, he mentioned that these these speed paints in in contrast to the um, Citadel um, uh, contrast paints. So there's a little pun there. Uh, in, in contrast to those paints, these uh, take a little bit longer to dry, and you, so you can wet blend them well. And I will agree with that. Uh, they are very easy and amenable to 
to wet blending and it works really well with these paints so i'm i'm excited and i'm going to keep pushing through and hopefully get the core box set done so that i can get the five expansion boxes done at some point <laughs> in my life i think these speed paints and new contrast paints lines that are coming out right like they are made for these giant kickstarter campaigns that that come with like literally like five boxes yeah, of minis you know it's crazy because it's like you look at you're like i that's 120 miniatures mm -hmm. that i'd have to paint and you're just like i just i can't like take the time to do it if i want to play this game you know what i mean like just just get some paint on them and enjoy it and so, so. The... yeah go ahead nick so they would work well on the like darkest dungeon kickstarter that's coming yes. out and Wolfenstein and okay yep. absolutely did and you I'd... back darkest dungeon nick yes there you awesome go. there you go there you go so um, just a little I'll... tidbit sorry i sorry let me just jump in real quick jason you bet uh, i found out from lincoln friend of the show lincoln that he has the only copy in north america coming to him right now Ooh. And he needs to play test it before Gen Con because they're going to be demoing it at Gen Con at the Mythic Games booth. And he may need some people to help him out. So I don't seems, know what you guys are doing, but yeah, seems, I think uh, I know what I'm doing. Right. <laughs> seems like a pretty easy uh, decision uh, here. Yep, yeah, right? I'm up for that. Yeah, man. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. You know, uh, we've talked about speed paints before. Um, the more I use them, the more I think this is this is the new technology in paints. Mm -hmm. I think I think you can achieve you can achieve a look with speed paints that, if done right, is just as good as uh, the old fashioned methods of you know base uh, base detail wash. Right. And yeah. and because you can do it in a in a smaller step, I know when 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 these contrast paints came out a big a lot of people on the painters on youtube kind of reamed them and were like yes yeah, it's cheating and like it just doesn't look as good and i disagree man i think that you can get just as good a look um especially if you put some skill behind it sure you can slap it on and make it a quick yeah. day but you can also use them in a very you know paint skilled paint painted fashion and get and achieve that same feel that you can then go over and put your details on if you want or if you need yeah. to so yeah. anyways i i would say that um a lot of the like really good pro painters out there right they'll they'll say like look you know you, you have to decide what kind of paint job you're doing if you're doing like a deep like a, a a golden demon level like display painting maybe you get choosy about where you use your contrast you know but then you're probably using a bunch of other techniques like your glazing and your wet blending mm -hmm. and and you know edge highlighting and stuff like that uh, but if you're just painting an army to get it on the table, like you'll see them use contrast quite a bit and then um, go back over and put like some finishing details on it yep. that really like hammer at home. And it doesn't take that long. Right. Yeah. So um, I don't think that that attitude of like, hey, this is cheating kind of exists out there anymore. Yeah. I think they say use the tool for the job that you need done. You know, and like, for example, uh, Deep Madness, you need to get those minis painted. Like, you're not going to go submit them for a Golden Demon Award anytime yeah. soon. Well, you know and they're mean? cosmic cores, so their right. flesh is all mutilated anyways. It doesn't, I don't need to have mm -hmm. clean, pristine lines between the bone and the flesh. Right, right. Very good. Well, I can't wait to see them. Those will, uh, those will look great. And, and look, games always play better when you've got them painted. 
Always. The miniatures painted. They always play, play better. So. Wait, maybe I should leave the monsters gray then and just paint the heroes. <laughs> it probably no, the, goes the other way. The, yeah. the problem, yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> the problem is monsters play better. That's right, monsters. <laughs> when they're not painted. Exactly. So uh, let's see, for my geek week, um, you know, just more of the same. Just painting terrain, getting it getting it done. I built a bunch of different models and stuff like that. So just trying to get it done and, um, and uh, ready to go for our events coming up and um, getting getting – getting some good stuff done there uh my other thing though i've been messing around with a bunch of night hunt lists in the warhammer app and you're gonna pull the trigger um pull the trigger on what on the big night hunt bossy guy yeah i think so so i've been messing around and and i really want a nagash like supreme lord of death right the, the grand ne- necromancer yeah he's awesome and uh, he got an updated War Scroll, and I, I, we talked about him quite a bit uh, when Nate was on our Talking Warhammer episode um, a couple episodes ago. And that's where he kind of got me thinking of like, oh, okay, cool. Because the problem, you and I have talked about this, right? When you have a big piece on the table, like a Terrorgeist or you know, like a Zombie Dragon or something like that, like that ends up becoming the focal point for everybody, and it ends up getting either shot off the board or or magic bolted off the board or like whatever as fast as possible because that's what people are, you know, want to do. Um, but Nagash, he costs a lot of he costs over nine hundred points, you know. But he he can he can take a hit and he can give a hit. So I'm kind of wondering like in this era of horde armies that the new Warhammer is doing, like Nagash would represent half the army. So I wouldn't have to put out as many models. And uh, if I can learn how to play him, well, I think that that'd be like a winning combo. And I've got a really good list, I think behind him that I've been working out with uh, Nate. And um, so you're talking, I think like 40 models, 40, 42 models total. Yeah. I think if you're going to, if you're going to, if you're going to do it, you got to go all in, you got to, you got to put them on the table Mm-hmm. And you got to keep him on the table for several iterations, yeah, because uh, yeah. it's an investment, and you got to figure, like you said, you got to figure out how to play him, yeah, effectively. I, I totally agree. I totally agree. I am gonna borrow. Uh, so he has the same base size as a Kragnos, and so I'm gonna try the list that I'm thinking of with um, Lincoln's yeah. Kragnos first, and just kind of proxy him and see how it works and see if I like it. Because he's like a hundred, he's like a hundred and ten dollars on Amazon right well, now. Well, I'll tell you this: if you want, if you want, uh, and this is up to you, right? I am all for the three D printed Etsy stuff. You can oh, get a three D printed Etsy thing that looks like they call them the quote great necromancer for like twenty bucks. <laughs> nice. Yeah. Nice. Yeah, I'll have to check that out. Because the thing is, is I might, am I ever really going to play the top tables? Yeah, you know? and it's a topic for a whole other podcast on yeah. what do we, where do we think the pricing for miniatures is going to go with 3D printing becoming so much more accessible in the future. Yeah. But anyways. Anyway, um, yeah, so that's kind of my geek week. I was messing around with some Warhammer stuff and then and doing some painting. And, of course, I played some TMNT with you. Yep. So that was good, good times. Good times. Yep, good times all around. So, awesome. Let's move to our geek news. Unfortunately, Dan's not here, so we don't have a cool little intro music. Uh, like, uh, dee, 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 dee. There we go. That That's our intro. There we go. <laughs> so, uh, the first item of geek news that I want to talk about is that 
um, on today, June 27th, the 40th anniversary of the Call of Cthulhu starter set just came out, which is wild to think about. That starter set that we played, Jason, uh, at uh, GuildCon, that is 40 years old. I mean, like, the first version edition yes. of it, right? That's, okay, that's yeah. correct. Yeah, the first edition okay. of it. <laughs> I was going to yeah. say, wow, they had some awesome stuff 40 years ago for <laughs> yeah. high-quality high uh, handouts. But yeah. yeah, I mean, obviously the seventh edition of Call of Cthulhu I think is only like a couple years old, like maybe a year or two old. And it was seventh edition. Um, but uh, the adventures that are in there and stuff like that, um, those were all, I think, original adventures um from way back when they were just updated with new rule sets and things like that so um what do you get in the 40th anniversary release um it 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 contains the books the dice pre-made character sheets maps um it's got the uh new box art by lynn i'm gonna i'm gonna pronounce this wrong lynn sang siang that's really bad h-s-i-a-n-g so whoever speaks um, that language. I don't even know what language it is. I would say Chinese maybe. But new box art. New box art. There's new box art. Um, there's updated interior book cover design. So like the, the there's a couple of books in there, right? There was the um, rules book, the um, self-adventure book, Into the Flames, yeah, and then okay, there was cool. the other kind of uh, adventure books that you had. So those will have updated book cover designs. Um, all of the erratas and corrections of the previous edition are um, up up to date in there. And uh, you've got 40th anniversary investigator sheets, which I think is cool because they're like updated, more fancy, look 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 cooler type of thing that are ready mm-hmm. to go. So, um, yeah, a lot of good stuff. It came out today. And um, did we – Jason, I was saying before, did we ever um, do a podcast episode about the Call of Cthulhu? Um, we did a, a YouTube video on it, on the starter yeah. set and playing through it. Uh, so, but, yeah. yeah, I don't think we did a podcast episode. And mm-hmm. what I noticed is that they said, um, put your interview request in. So maybe we could do a, a, an interview with the mm-hmm. Call of Cthulhu writers. Yeah. yeah, That'd be cool. So anyway, but yeah, a lot of good stuff there. Uh, we can't say, an, I, personally, I can't say enough about this starter set. Uh, I think I talked about the Into the Flames solo adventure before that taught you how the game worked as like the as the DM, like as you would work it. Like I I didn't know how the game played really. I mean I, we had sort of played it one time before, but being able to go through the solo adventure and actually like roll the dice and fill out your character sheet was so helpful to see how the game played that it felt very seamless for me to run it than when we actually had it at GuildCon. Um, I don't know. Did you feel like uh, that was like my first time running Call of Cthulhu when we played it? Um, n- no, I think that uh, the materials. Def- well, okay, so that's one of those. Uh, we know how to GM, right? Yes, so, that's true. That's true. <laughs> but there, there's a lot of good material there to help hold your hand if you're early on and you just want to sit down with your friends in that. Yeah, case. yeah. I can tell you that um, I have, you know. DM Nougat. Well, let's let's compare it to the um, RuneQuest game, right? That we did. Oh, that's good. I was, that's good. Yep. I was way more nervous about running that because there was a lot more moving pieces and things like that in that mm-hmm. game than yeah. I was with Cthulhu. Um, after I played that solo adventure of Cthulhu, I said, "I've got this. This is this is going to be a lot of fun." 
you know, and uh, the adventures was was great. We we had a ton of fun with it. Yeah, yeah. It I wish good. Nick, you. I wish Nick, you could you could have played with us that night. It sounds like a lot of fun. It I, is. It's very investigative, and, and you know, one thing, Nick, I know you can bounce back and forth between action and uh, role play. So I think you would have gotten a lot of good geeky role play out of this one. Good, good. We still have another module in that starter kit. We should play it. We should. Amidst so, all of the other I know, RPG so one-shots we have on our table. <laughs> so many things. That so we're behind things. in getting done. Uh, let's see. For our next news item, Nick, you had told us about a new Magic the Gathering set. So, yeah. So, just recently released is is a continuation of uh, July of last year when they released Forgotten Realms for Magic the Gathering. And in that uh, Magic the Gathering Forgotten Realms section, they... Um, introduce the adventure uh, part where you go into dungeons and um, so you would some mechanic would allow you to enter a dungeon and then these dungeons would give you special abilities um, that you could use for in a room for example it would give you like a plus one counter on something or uh, move uh, re- remove a creature from the other side or things like that um, it also gave you um, classes like your clerics and your <clears throat> mages and things. And they worked more along the lines like of an enchantment with three sections in it. And um, you would move through each of the sections and you'd gain uh, more abilities. Well, in this new uh, Baldur's Gate is the new release that came out. And um, they continue that more with the people that they didn't use in the last set, which in the last set you had your Dritzes and your Bruners and uh, your Nelbins and the people from Waterdeep and mostly a, and a lot of Ten Town stuff. Um, <clears throat> in this one, you have uh, your Planeswalkers are Tasha and Elminster. And um, like one of the cards I'm looking at right now says, you look upon the Tarask. And it's like, it's a wonderfully drawn card of, of the Tarrasque destroying a whole town. It's just, it's just fantastic. Now, I'm a general magic player. I do not collect every set. I collect the sets I like. Um, Innistrad with Soren and anything with like vampires and, and werewolves and stuff like that. Um, and But if it's Dungeons and Dragons... Um, definitely i uh i will get that the only the only issue that i'm seeing right now is um the forgotten realms ones was a generic set but this is a commander deck set so a lot of the abilities and the cards talk about with your commander or replace your commander or things like that which is which is fine um and the other concern i have is the price of the magic cards have gone up significantly from other sets really yeah the uh draft are 645 and the sets are eight eight forty nine at at uh, target and walmart hmm. so they're, they're they're significantly same amount of cards just significantly more expensive and so i was told that um, because of the license, yeah, maybe, but I was it. But everyone's because of the prices of everything going up. So, yeah. Well, 
that's kind of across the board right now. Correct. Yeah. Yeah, totally. Totally. Well, that's cool, though. I mean, it, it's interesting. I mean, obviously, uh, Magic the Gathering is part of the whole Wizards of the Coast and all that stuff. So, you know, the um, crossplay is very interesting. I'm surprised they didn't do it sooner, to be honest with you. You know? <laughs> yeah, and, and on your point on art, right, uh, with, uh, Magic the Gathering has always had amazing art. Yes. And like every set. In fact, you know, I, I know some people collect the cards just for the artwork and then on you'll go to conventions and they'll just bring all their box cards and have all the artists sign the cards and it's really cool to, to look at them and, and I know some people that use Magic the Gathering cards just for um uh uh like uh material or visual aids in their RPGs. Mm-hmm. So good stuff. Yeah, very good. Very good. Uh, another item in our news is that Free League Publishing has a 50% off summer sale that goes through the 5th of July, so uh, basically next Tuesday. Uh, what's cool about this is that uh, you've got a lot of stuff on sale. The One Ring role-playing game, Alien, Twilight 2000, Vassin, which is the uh, Nordic horror game. Mm-hmm. You've got Tales from the Loop in there. You've got Simbarum and Ruins of Simbarum um, that are kind of recent releases uh, that came out. You have Coriolis, and uh, there's even a Call of Cthulhu. Now, I don't think it's the Call of Cthulhu, even though it says the Call of Cthulhu. Um, it looks like it is um, just kind of a holdover licensing type of thing. So, But still... There's a lot of good stuff in there. I mean, especially like the One Ring and Alien are, are recent releases within the last year. So to mm-hmm. have a 50% off sale for some of their PDFs and and some of their other merchandise, like um, there's a and, and actually it's physical copy stuff too that you yeah, can and order. Yeah, I'll, I'll say that's where it's kind of a little rough for us over here in America because um, – the fifty percent or the it's not always fifty percent of everything, but anyways, I was looking yeah, at it stuff yeah. and I put stuff in the cart because it is from their store right over in Sweden. Um, you've got shipping and you've got currency conversion. So at the end of the day, it's actually the same price with the sale as if I'd walk into the game store and buy the <laughs> womp, womp. Uh, womp. But you know so, what? if that's just yeah. that's just my situation, right? So I'm sure there's that's plenty true. of other people like over in Europe and stuff that could really benefit from this. We do have quite a few listeners in Sweden and Denmark, believe yep. it or not. So there you go. And so if you guys are looking for some good RPGs, especially to support a, uh, I guess, somewhat local company uh, there with Free League uh, Publishing, go ahead and check out their store. They've got a lot of great stuff. Yeah. So, and, it's, it, and, it, and there are some really good deals out there with them. And their uh, stuff is all really high quality high quality in terms of you know material and art the art is everything they made the art is just great it's super immersive i'm a big fan of them they don't they're an indie company that doesn't feel indie you yeah they're I mean? st- they're definitely not they've got some things that still do like their morkborg still has uh-huh. that feel because that's how that's designed right it's that kind of uh zine style feel but yep. although now they're kind of bigger books but um yeah, they definitely are starting to feel AAA, to be honest. And I've I've been pouring through their Alien content, and it's just it feels AAA. Not to mention the fact that it's based off of a normal franchise, but even right. with that, the art and the um uh the layout in the books themselves is very interesting. Look, we've seen IPs that are well known and beloved RPs that don't translate to good RPGs. 
Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Like the companies that have them kind of just do their thing and you're like, okay, well, this feels like a weird knockoff of right, the yeah. IP. You know what I mean? Uh, but the uh, Free League Publishing, they do they do a great job. They do yep, a great, great job. job. Uh, the last thing that I will talk about real quick is that the uh, Age of Sigmar Warhammer – Warhammer Age of Sigmar General's Handbook for 2022 just released, uh, and it is a significant change to what they had put out last year. A lot of people are thinking... Um, is it released or is it on pre-order? It's it's on pre-order, but it's being released like this week. Oh, okay. I should be getting mine like tomorrow. Is it with from, the Spiral Bound Edge? Yep, yep. Yeah. Spiral Bound Edge, yep. Mm-hmm. So, uh, but the thing is, is it completely changed. I, I think we talked about before that Warhammer has gone to this idea of seasons of war mm-hmm. in their three point in the Age of Sigmar three point uh, edition. And so the last season was like all about big monsters, and you had like actions to do with monsters and things like that. And now it's all about infantry, battle line infantry. And so these changes make it feel like a very different game. And I think that if you um, were like, oh, man, I missed the boat on 3.0 in the in the Monster Edition, and I never even played a game or whatever, I'm not talking to Jason at all about this. Um, <laughs> if, if you kind of feel like you missed out there, you could pick up with this new General's Handbook and not feel like you missed out um, that you're behind the curve because everybody's behind the curve now. You know, like it, it changed the game that much um, here. You know, so I think, um, of course, there's some new rules from 3.0 that were different from 2.0, but those are minuscule compared to the changes that the uh, new uh, General's Handbook is bringing bringing about. So if you're ever thinking about getting into Age of Sigmar, now's a great time to do it because uh, of the changes and that everybody's kind of learning them together, you know? Uh, yeah, although I'm not sure we've ever said anything other than now's a great time to I enter <laughs> there's always a good time to enter yeah. i would have said honestly i would have said like three months ago i probably would not encourage you to i would have i would have said choose an army that you like and start prepping it for when the new general sandbook comes out because i would not have like said it was a great time to jump in yeah that's fair mm-hmm. you know um so but with this with this new one it it's it's changed so much that uh, you don't have, to, like I said, you don't have to feel like uh, you uh, are are walking into a party that's already been going for a while, you know. So. Yep. Anyway, cool. All right, very good on the geek news. We had a lot of a lot of good stuff there. So let's get to our main topic today, which is our recap of Icewind Dale: The Rhyme of the Frost Maiden. Uh, this was a published adventure by Wizards of the Coast, uh, an official D and D adventure, and I believe it came out in 2020. Maybe I think it came out in 2020. It's been a couple years, yeah. Uh, yeah, it came out in 2020 because that was the new one when we decided to do it. We started playing Icewind Dale in uh, October of 2020, and we just finished in june of 2022 we played pretty much every month in fact i think we i don't think we missed a month we we had to move some dates around every now and then but we played uh pretty much every month Mm -hmm. so it took us um it took us about 18 months yeah so 18 sessions essentially yeah yeah 18 sessions which i think is pretty good right yeah that's not bad at all yeah 
So, um, yeah, okay, well, let's start out. Icewind Dale takes place uh, up in the northern part of the map. We're not playing Forgotten Realms here. This is the... Um, what world are we playing in here? This is the Sword uh, the Sword Coast, right? Well, Sword Coast is Forgotten Realms. Oh, okay. Then it's just an area in it. Yeah, we're in the northern yeah. section. Okay, so we are in Forgotten Realms here. I should know that as the DM, but it's I... It's okay. <laughs> <laughs> I was hyper-focused on we the... Were, uh, we were in frozen country for 18 yes. months. That's right, exactly, with no way out. So um, l- let's start with initial impressions. Um, what did you What did you think, Jason? Um, I felt like I was cold for 18 months. Yes, sir. It's, I mean, you really get a sense of chill uh, there. So initial impressions. All right, so initial impressions. Um. Fun, a lot of material, a lot of opportunities to do side quests that still felt connected to an overall story arc um, or uh, something that was affected by the main thing, the overarching threat that was going on in the world. Uh, I thought there were parts of the campaign that felt a little um, monotonous at times or just kind of busy work. Uh, But there were also parts that were uh, very exciting because it was new things rather than just cookie cutter, run in a dungeon, kill everybody, find the treasure, avoid some traps. There was there were some mechanics that were very puzzle that were puzzling. uh, Sorry, that were puzzles that was interesting to uh, to solve. And a lot of a lot of kind of other otherly realm magic stuff that came in so i thought it was interesting overall i had a great time playing it yeah nick what were your initial impressions uh i really liked it being somewhere else that we haven't been we've always been in forests and in the town and then underground and then that's really it um i don't think i've ever been to a desert either but i mean i liked it that it's in you know it was somewhere else and it was really cold meaning that um you know, you were bundled up all the time, and and you know you you had to dig for things, and and there was no I'm just going to go over there and get these berries off this bush. There's no bush. There's five feet of snow. Mm-hmm. <laughs> right, right. Yeah. Um, I really liked the uh, the drama of it in some spots, like um, when I. When we, when I had to choose um, to leave Boy, which is right. a dog, and um, not go and rescue his master who was stuck up on uh, the mountain, and we did a couple other quests before that, and it just kept, you know, just kept playing on me and playing on me. It's like I, I we really should do this, guys. We really should do this. Yeah, I like that as opposed to, okay, we just walk in and we do this, and then we're done. Yeah, yeah. I think I think that um, this book was maybe one of the better ones that they have put out in terms of the f- the entire first half of the campaign was a sandbox in a sense, right? You had ten. You you we were in Icewind Dale, which is made up of ten, like which is basically the ge- geographic area. And the town that you were in was actually called Ten Towns, which was a group of like ten little hamlets 
that were you know pretty much connected by like a two-hour walk from each of them right if you if you wanted to walk between the ten uh between the towns it was like two hours to each town so like not a huge area but totally doable in terms of travel which i kind of liked i, I kind of liked the ability to like have you guys be like okay you want to go to that city sure it's two hours to get there not a big deal and if you take a dog sled it's an hour so it wasn't like, all right, well, now we're going to have to go travel for four days and let's roll four random encounters on the travel table, you know. And it was kind of like, okay, like you travel there and, and you know, not a big deal. And we, we make it to the next town and we figure out what's going on. So um, I, I kind of like that. And what that allowed in the beginning was a lot of um, – it allowed a lot of sandbox-style questing. Right, you guys could choose wherever you wanted to go and what you wanted to do. Yes, and I enjoyed that there were a lot of things to do. It's not like, well, what are we going? To, we're sitting in the tavern looking at each other, going, "Well, what are we going to do today? What are we going to do today?" There's all kinds of things to do. Yeah, yeah, and I think one of the one of the good things that I tried to um, play up a little bit was uh, I gave you all some player secrets and um tied those tried to tie those secrets into some of the quests that i knew were out there right so one of our players he um had he had been uh, marooned his like his ship had got trapped in ice and uh he ended up like eating some of the people to survive you know uh but i tied one of the quests out there was that there was a ship that was stuck in the ice that was like a that was unrelated in the book but i made it related i said your ship is the one that's stuck out in the ice and you know there's a bunch of treasure on there so he's like oh you know i mean like i, I tried to relate the 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 player's secret to a quest that was in the book later to kind of if if we ever slowed down at any time you guys were like hey i want to go check that thing out that i know is out there somewhere you know Right, and I enjoyed. It scared me at first, and it scared me a bit. Um, but I enjoyed the um, the secret of having the uh, slot egg implanted, where <laughs> I had to do something about it because um, all the things that were tried, which would normally have just gotten rid of it, yeah, didn't work. So it's like, okay, well, wait a minute, the, all this stuff doesn't work. I've got to find something that works, and and time is short so that was one of my favorite player secrets that we that we did um it didn't say and, and since you're gming this now you've kind of looked at the book it did not say that um all of those other things like a greater restoration spell or or you know any other magic um could get rid of it it, it didn't say uh, or couldn't get rid of it it didn't say that in there i wanted to give you a bit more of a challenge because i was like well this would be boring if you just decide to go see a cleric and boom you're done you know like some cool player secret there like i wanted to i wanted to give you a challenge and also a bit of a ticking time bomb yes it definitely motivated me to to you know uh, move and, and try and find the points and, and track down. So, yes, I know we were trying to, you know, go get the white moose and we were trying to go get the ale and we were trying to go get this and that. But mm -hmm. it's like all of those are good things. 
but you know I got I got something ticking in here and we gotta I gotta get it out and and the regular stuff doesn't work so I've we've got to find you know the the lonely shaman up on the mountain kind of thing to to help me get it out before you know it explodes it's like I I as much as I was apprehensive about that and but I really enjoyed it and it and it made me work on my character more to to flush it out and to add that part of the backstory and and to make you know to make it mine so that you know I own this now and I've got to find a way to get it out Justin were these um player backstories part of the actual campaign book Yes. Um, some of those secrets were very spelled out there. Uh, I did, though, embellish some of them a little bit to add a little bit more flavor. Like for like like, like we said here, that all it said in the Icewind Dale book for this is that um, this player has a um, a an egg um, from the um, slot. Slod. I was about to use the uh, Age of Sigmar slon. The slod. Um, so it's got a it's got a red slod egg implanted in them, and if it doesn't get cured, um, in soon, it will basically burst out and kill everybody. You know. And so I said, okay, well that, you know, and that's basically all it said. And so I looked up, like, okay, well, what, what does it take to cure this thing? And it was like, oh, a greater restoration spell. And I'm like, ah, oh, man, like it it'd be easy for them to go into like the big city, go to one of these temples and go talk to a cleric and, you know, just like pay him a bunch of money or do a favor for him and then get it cured. I was like, that's so boring. Like, let's try, let's embellish this a little bit to where, um, he's already tried that. He like, of course he would know that he would have to do that. Right. Like everybody's like, okay, let's go see the cleric. Well, he tried that and it didn't work. Now what? And that's 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 basically where I think I left you, Nick. Um, is like you've already tried these things. That's correct. So that became part of my backstory, where it's like I've, I'm a cleric of the temple. We went to the temple, and they said you have to leave and go out and find someone to cure you of this. And and so they said um, since none of them were magic users they were looking you know they were trying to push me in some direction to either go find some magic magic or some medical stuff which it piqued my interest in becoming uh uh specializing in medicine yeah yeah which i think we did some really cool stuff with that too in my opinion um because one, one of the mechanics that you never really see in D D or really use is medicine Correct. Um, like, because it's like you live in a world of magic. And so, like, what does medicine count for when you can just magically heal your broken bone? Correct. And uh, so, so uh, we did some, I think we did some interesting things where, well, what did we do exactly with you? Well, we started that um, I would, I was working with a, a regular doctor, not, not a, not a cleric or a mage, but a, a regular md kind of person um that that set bones and used herbs and and medicine you know medicines like that and did some um light i don't i'm gonna say the word wrong shakiri which is uh surgery yeah and which is totally foreign to anybody who's a cleric to just just you know just cure light wounds be done with it 
but um, it is so fascinating. So I worked with him, and um, he taught me the the that that way, um, which fascinated because now I'm looking inside the body. So instead of just asking my God to bless you so that you are better, I'm actually looking at why is this that way inside your physical being, and there are secrets inside the physical being that magic really can't do anything with or or against or so it's like so they all can work together in order to make uh and to fix the the uh fix the body mm-hmm. and i think uh what that ended up doing is giving you some good bonus rolls like that um... is correct so for every 40 hours that i would mm-hmm. spend um practicing reading uh, I could get a plus one to my uh, medicine roll, and I completed one set of plus one th- throughout the adventure because um, there were times when we were down in town and I could go do those sorts of things. But then <laughs> once we started moving on, it's like it was very hard to get um, uh, 40 hours in an actual learning experience. So that made it very understandable to me that I'm not going to be plus 10 to my medicine in four adventures and just fix everything in the universe. Um, I'm really going to have to work on it if I want to be a better surgeon or healer. And I think what I what I loved about this, and I think this speaks to your ability to role play, Nick, is that... Um, we were able to use the use this ability in interesting ways. So if I remember correctly, there was um, one of our players um, ended up getting a little fit of madness and she had some bloodlust. Um, this was Mike's character, Silver. Yep. And she ended up going and killing a um, resident of the town that you guys were living in. And um, you guys heard about the murder and you went out and you used your medicine to examine the body which gave you some very important clues as to like how how that person was killed like you know so you almost did like an autopsy style uh medical examination like a coroner would because of that medicine that you had rather than just using magic right like correct so in, yes so instead of just automatically walking up and saying i want to roll investigation to see what happened now i can get right down into the body cavity and say Okay, this was either pointed or blunt trauma and see how it caves into the chest and it breaks these two ribs or whatever and punctures the heart. And it was either cold or hot, depending on, you know, the surrounding tissues and stuff. So, that you know, so instead of just saying, well, he was hit by a rock, uh, you know, I could I could since I do have some spells or I could ask a mage, I can start narrowing it down to a particular spell if, if I don't see you know, a weapon nearby. So yeah, trying to do a little CSI on it is, it it just makes it more interesting for me and, and, you know, to be able to lay out some, some, uh, some ways that it could have happened. Yeah. And, and to kind of bring it back to the original question, right. Which is like, I don't think you would have been as interested in this medicine had you not had that slan egg 
or slot egg um, in implanted in you, right? Because you're trying to figure that out. That is how correct. Yeah, I wouldn't. Out. I yep. I wouldn't have <laughs> really bothered with that at all. Yep. Exactly. Exactly. And and I think Jason, for you, you had the player's secret of um, you were a member of the Harper's um, organization, right? Yeah, I was a I was a secret member of the Harper's organization. Um, I had and I had kind of written my own backstory too that you tied in with that player secret that worked well where I had used to work for an organization that caused a lot of harm. Mm-hmm. Um, once I discovered that I was causing more harm than good, uh, I defected to kind of this Harper's organization to try to kind of work under the covers to try to help the Ten Towns. So I think that that worked a little bit. I did kind of the main thing I had was I had a contact that I could access. Mm-hmm. And I think I I think I was able to successfully use them once, but I'm not sure it really paid off. I'm, I'm not sure yeah. we really gained much from it, uh, and so I kind of moved, steered away from it. Uh, my backstory. I think to be there honest. was I think there was two times you used it, if I'm not mistaken. The one time you needed to get an artifact out of, you needed to find an artifact in one of the um, uh, speakers' houses. And your contact knew who had like bought it and where it went, right? Um, so directed you in, and then I think you were able to like yeah, break in, right. yep. break into the house and sneak in and, and steal it because you knew exactly where it was, right? Yep, that's right. Yeah. Um, and then there was another time where there was some Durger that were kind of like, kind of hidden in the shadows and attacking, and you were able to use uh, your contact to kind of get a lay of the land on what was happening. I think a little bit and understand like kind of the political machinations of who was helping who and stuff like that i think so yeah i think the first one was probably the most um effective for the group finding out where that thing was uh but uh you know that's the beauty of having five players with individual backstories is they can you can all call on them as necessary throughout the campaign so one of the most hilarious player secrets that happened was lincoln's Lincoln had the player's secret where um, he had uh, a secret lover uh, in Icewind Dale and that he could choose like when, you know, he could basically choose who the NPC was at the, you know, at that time um, and say that that was a lover and that basically that person, you know, had only like strong feelings for, for him. And so you guys are assaulting this Durger Dwarven stronghold and you burst into this room where this matron Durger who is like as ugly as sin is waiting for you and she's super powerful and Lincoln pings me and says that's it she's the one for me <laughs> right like I want her to be my lover you know <laughs> and so, so I said okay we're doing this you know and it, and it was like parole where have you been you know and then all of a sudden like it completely changed your guys's assault of this place right she's like i hate this guy here i only want to be with you my love you know like take me away from this place and um it was it was fantastic because i think you guys would have she was pretty tough and powerful and she probably would have uh, put a hurt on you guys especially going into a bigger boss fight but for him to use his player's secret right then was so funny. It was so funny because it was just this, like, ugly dwarven woman that was, like, his secret long-lost love. It was so fantastic. So I thought all of you did a great job of um, – I never realized that was his uh, secret. I always thought he just was playing a fetish. 
Oh. <laughs> I mean, he kind of played that out before because remember he like uh, he 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 like yeah. wooed that one woman to get yep. a better room. Oh so, yeah, the elven lady. Yep. Yeah. yeah. So I just figured that was his fetish was to kind of just. But anyways. <laughs> yeah. Too funny though, right? Um, yeah. Yeah, we had uh, we had another another guy whose um, mom was the one of the evil tribe leaders of the. That the one Clay I thought Genomatics. was really really well done. That felt really tied into the uh, to the overarching campaign. Yeah, I and I gave that one to him specifically because he chose the Goliath character, right? Mm-hmm. So I was like. I could have given it to somebody else who was like a human and maybe she had made it with a human or whatever. But I was like, no, he's a Goliath. So like for him to, um, for him to have his mom be like the evil queen and there was like a showdown too. Right. Like that was, yep. That was great. And like at the worst time possible, of course, you know, mom, mom shows up. So, um, yeah, it was uh, it was good. I think the player secrets were good. Um, I I put in like I said the extra. I tried to go the extra mile to tie them to certain adventures so that if you guys wanted to pursue some of them, that like we would go. It would take you on an adventure. So I think Nick, like you said, um, I pointed you to a shaman who I kind of made up as an NPC, and or did I say Sean? Nick. No, um, you, you said it right. Okay, thank you. okay, sorry. I pointed you to a shaman um, uh, who I made up as an NPC, uh, but she had some quests for you guys to do, right? And those those quests were um, part of the adventures that basically there was a part of the book that said, okay, the players have progressed to this level. They now need to do like five or six quests out of this section of the book now. And once they do that, then they can move on to the next section of the book. So I tried to tie in your player secrets to some of those um, quests so it didn't just feel like, oh, here's another quest. Oh, here's another quest. But that you guys were actively, like, driving towards those quests and you didn't didn't know it. Um, Correct. And I didn't – and and like most PCs, like the bartenders and this sort of stuff, I didn't leave her. Mm-hmm. I would use sending to ask her questions, especially in the tests of Oriole. Yep. Yep. Um, yeah. I yeah. I used her as a resource um, and, and didn't just sort of okay. Well, I've met her. She's giving me my quest. I'm on my way. Right. Right. Yeah. She became a pretty central figure in the campaign. Um, funny enough, right? Like she she gave you guys a lot of advice. Um, there was one point that um, somebody got knocked out pretty bad. I think maybe it was um, it was uh, oh it was uh, I can't remember. It was one of you guys and and uh, oh no, two of you ended up getting totally frozen solid. At, yes, that at was the bottom of the of the of the castle, right? The Frostmaiden Castle. Trinette and Parole. Yeah, mm-hmm. and so like you guys were like, well, we got to take her back to Barbotha. Right, and she'll fix them. Yep. Like, <laughs> and so like she became kind of a a central character, even though she wasn't in the book at all. Um, but because we tied her to the to the quests and to the other things, like it it was a it was a good central point that, no. that worked out. Go ahead. I was going to say I think what I thought that part was pretty funny because I feel like when as players we approach that area where they were going to turn frozen. I feel like the clues were pretty darn obvious that you're going to get frozen oh, yes. if you do this. Uh-huh. And they did it anyways. I was like, well, I don't know who's carrying these guys out, but it's not me. 
So for the record, um, Sean played Trinette, his character, flawlessly. She had so much madness. She was crazy by the end. And I don't know if you guys picked up on it, but oh, she was course. like murder happy. Like she like and that was part of the madness. Like she just wanted things to die. I think that um, was the consistent she, chuckling. Exactly, exactly. She had like no care for her own well being and was like up for whatever. So she's like, Yeah, sure, I'll touch that thing. I don't care. You know? <laughs> you know what I mean? So yeah. like you're like, This is a bad idea. She's like, Nope, sounds like a what good you, idea to what me. Are you doing? Yes. <laughs> yeah. So, so that's why she definitely touched it, you know, because like she was, she was pretty mad at that point. Um, and so when, when I started, um, I, I started off naive mm-hmm. and nice and naive. I really didn't know much about the world. I had only been, you know, in the forest and in the temple. Uh, but by the time the end, I was getting sort of harder, um, and and still to the point where some of the things I just I I mean as a care as a person I knew that Sean had something wrong with him yeah okay but it didn't affect me the way that um, Irath did with his rage right that's something is wrong so that's why I eventually used uh, restoration because. In my head, that's in my character's head. That's a that's a totally different personality change. Where yeah. with Trinette, it's like, well, we just basically met her. I'm not sure she's not she hasn't harmed me, and she really hasn't harmed herself. And and so, uh, yes, it it was basically kind of the same. But it's like, as as this person, as this character. I don't know that that's uncommon for someone of her species. And so I just let it go. And and it's like, because, you know, there, there are just some things out there like the, at the ending with the scroll of the Tarrasque, I have no idea what that is. I have no idea what a Tarrasque is. Yeah. Um, The things that the, the two other, uh, NPCs that I really wanted to, to bring out was um, a real at because my character having a god as a cleric and a druid okay yeah. knows that I I pray to this being for help and and knowledge and things but there is no way I would ever raise a weapon to that being right and so when we have to fight even even if she is not a greater god she's a lesser god we're still talking about some person with incredible powers that's why it's like i really didn't want to get involved in any combats with her um and so that she scared my character to where i i, I didn't want to i didn't want to do it and at the end i was one person more down from just reading the scroll and running now the character that I did not like at all. Um, most of the NPCs that we came across were okay, <laughs> but I, know, I do I not. <laughs> I do not know why Velen just rubbed me the wrong way from the second we met her coming out of the Drugar Keep. Yep. That second on, I never saw her do anything or be of any help whatsoever <laughs> now she did do things in the in targos or uh 
yeah, Targos. Mm -hmm. Okay, but I wasn't there. I was with uh, Shang up in Lonelywood, and so to me, she she she's a liar. She's lazy. She's no help at all, and she's commanding us to go do these things. (laughs) And she has no information. Yeah, it. She just rubbed me completely wrong. The whole thing. So it's funny you mentioned that, right? Uh, because here is an NPC character that should be being played as a character in a sense, right? So the DM's got to kind of do double duty. She's got to DM and then also sort of play her and you know what I mean? Um, so the approach that I took was I, <laughs> I want to make her the least helpful person possible. I want to make sure... Because like the part of me is like I'm already doing dealing enough with the adventure right here that I don't want to have to memorize her stat sheet and like have her fight right. and do all this stuff. So I intentionally said like she's gonna be like not helpful, and um, she'll give them information when they need it, like when they desperately need it, and she'll just like drop these little nuggets that she knows. And I tried to play into the fact that. She essentially was like a runaway from the um, from the Arcane Brotherhood, right? That she wasn't really an official member, and she's trying to prove herself. And so, like, maybe she doesn't have the polish that a normal Arcane Brotherhood person would have. And and knowing like where to give and take, and how to help and not help, you know what I mean? Like, yeah. Um, I kind of took the idea of like. Same, similar to um, the Wheel of Time, you had the Aes Sedai, right, yep. and the Sisterhood. But then you had, like, Egwene and, uh, you know, like, kind of going in and she wasn't a full sister yet. And so she's kind of stumbling her way through what she should be doing. So I I kind of made her intentionally annoying. <laughs> okay. Well, it, it worked well. It really worked well. I mean, I was never... I was never upset with you at her. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. It was just her. It's like, why yeah. are we listening to her when she provides zero utility? Th- Which was, yeah, go ahead, Jason. Uh, I was going to say, I think the utility she did provide was that she spoke draconic. That's, that's about it. Yeah. Yeah. But, but then at the very end, after she was dead, I felt like after she passed on due to some, well, anyways, after she passed on, I felt like we had all this, all the Strachonic we had to read. So uh, you guys were yeah. having to spin spells, <laughs> yep. Uh, to yep. try to read it over and over again. It's true. It's true. Yeah. I, and you know what's funny is, um, uh, she passed away because I think Felsador, you had been cursed, right? That's correct. And so you really did not trust her at that point. Like nope. really, really did not trust her. And you convinced that. Fox mage that you had found in the library to scream and cry. Yeah, to get angry at her. Yep. And he ended up hurling a fireball. And the funny thing is, is I'm like, well, I could just like have them go to a knockdown drag out fight. And I'm like, nah, I'm just going to kill her right now. Like, I'm done. With, I'm kind of done with her. And I think they're, I think Felsador's really done. Oh, with her. I was so happy. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> So, uh, yeah, that was kind of funny. And it was an interesting contrast to when you guys a- ended up meeting um, the other mage. Avarice. I loved Avarice. her. She was awesome. Yeah, yeah. And uh, and I kind of, in- I again, I-, I played her sort of the 
the foil to Velen, right? Which is Avarice was a full sister of the Arcane Brotherhood. Yep. And so she knew how to make a deal. She knew what she needed and what she wanted and was willing to, you know, basically make a deal with the devil if needed um, without upsetting the apple cart, you know? Right. Yep. So, um, yeah, that was that was kind of interesting. Uh, yeah, Velen. <laughs> oh, I thought you were going to say the shopkeeper. In, uh... I, I never really – I only interacted with her like once. Everyone else – oh, sh- yes. Everyone else would pick the shopkeeper. Yep. <laughs> that was like – that was like Kay, I think Casey's quote-unquote favorite one because he'd just be like, can I just get some climbing gear? And she'd be like, so funny story about that climbing gear, you know, and just go off on these <laughs> random tangents about <laughs> yep. it. <laughs> He's like, great. Can I get some rope too? Oh, it's funny you mentioned rope. <laughs> Now, were these personalities described um, in the campaign book, or did you embellish on them? Um, some of them were in the campaign book. Uh, the shopkeeper was in there. They talked about her cat a little bit, um, that she had a cat. And I think that at one point, Felsador, you ended up talking with the cat, right? That's correct, and, and I brought the cat a fish. Yep. And getting some info from it. Um, but... Um, yeah, so they talked about the shopkeeper. They had a name. They kind of have a little bit of background, but I I kind of just ad libbed some of them a little bit and just kind of went with it, you know. So yeah, just just wondering if you know um, the material of the source book would mm-hmm. help GMs to be able to kind of articulate this type of NPC characteristics or not. So I think that the source book, and, and now that you've looked at it, Felsador, or Felsador, <laughs> now that you've looked at it, Nick, um, maybe you can give some insight into this too, but I think that um, the NPCs that are fleshed out in there are fleshed out absolutely enough that you can run them as a person and gives you enough like hooks to basically make them the way that you want to make them as well. Yes, yes. I enjoyed your interpretation of Suffolk uh, Caltro. Uh-huh. You know, I was new. I really didn't know what to do when I was sitting there looking at him. Yeah. I didn't know if I should bonk him in the head or if I should congratulate him for doing his God's bidding. It's like, well, I'll, I'll go with the safer option and just congratulate him. It's it. it and uh but yeah in the in the book it it uh lays him out and um and and makes him you know uh minion of a real and uh and and but he he is a good character i mean not a good aligned but he is a good character yeah yep yeah and and uh you know it's funny because when you guys started your approach on Suffolk Caltro, Suffolk Caltro is the first main quest that, that the people do, right? Um, it's basically like, go take care of this guy who's been committing these murders. And um, it's interesting, Jason, when I was reading him, you know what it reminded me of was our Shadow of the Demon Lord campaign with the Druid in the forest. Hmm. You know, where it was like, hey, I know you think I'm a bad guy, but here's what's going on. Let me give you an option. You know what I mean? And like very reasonable bad guy that you can sit down and be like, oh, I didn't, I didn't necessarily consider things that way. Because um, I think when you guys approached him, you were all ready to ambush him and just like kill him outright. And then, <laughs> and then I think it was you, Nick, that sat down with him and he's like, yep. 
hey, I'm just doing I'm just doing what my God's asking me to do. And you're like, well, good enough for me. Have a good night. Like, yep. <laughs> you walked and, out of the and, bar. Then, and then we go up and kill the guy accidentally. <laughs> the guy that he was supposed to kill? Yeah, because right? remember, I grabbed him by the head, and then I think Parole or somebody made him drink that drink that almost knocked out Iraf, and that killed him. <laughs> that... That honestly was one of my most like my my most favorite like twists that we put in that game right there. Like you guys, when he walked by, he was like, "Oh, thanks for doing my job for me." (laughs) (laughs) Yep, we weren't trying to. (laughs) He's like, "Have a good night, gentlemen." You know, and just like, "Oh my gosh." (laughs) That was so great. That was so that was so good. What a great twist there. Because uh, I know were, there were yeah. a lot of these in the campaign where my character Yag, you know, who was uh, a rogue, had been through a lot, had you know worked for an organization that ended up being an evil, uh, you know, oppressive mm-hmm. force, broke away, now worked for a secret organization, had a lo- had been around the block a lot before the campaign started. A lot of these situations, Yag just kind of st- stepped back and was like, "What are they doing?" <laughs> Why right. are they do oh, whatever? Yeah, like when just... we met the goblins on the cart, you and I oh were the gosh. only ones that didn't attack. Everyone yeah. else was shooting they're arrows just, from they're shooting for no reason. They yep. never attacked us. Oh, I loved playing that one up as a massacre oh, yeah, for sure. That was so much fun. That like, was like... it was absolute murder. <laughs> it's, and there is no denying it. It was straight up murder. The goblins <laughs> never attacked us. They were trying they were to run away the whole time. They were fleeing. At one point, I even came. I, I I think I even got into the caravan and told one goblin, "Run that way because they're gonna kill you." Yeah. And it yeah. almost got away, but Parole said, nah, and he knocked an arrow and took it. <laughs> Hundred twenty feet away. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It was just straight, straight up murder. Which is funny because I could have absolutely played the goblins as like thieving bandits that were gonna protect their loot at all costs, yeah. right? And what you guys saw when you got there was that they weren't thieving bandits, that that loot had been abandoned Yep. because the Yetis had chased off the people. And they're like, well, if nobody's going to take this. Right. And, and, we, and we tried. Well, Yag and I tried to, you know, talk to we them and, and say, you know, that you're, you're right. You found it. But let's take it to town and maybe we can get you some pay or something or we'll just pay you now and we'll take it and then the shooting started (laughs) (laughs) and they were cool with that they're like hey yeah sure fine like we get it right like no problem but again that's like that's the way that uh as a dm i had chosen to play it because they could have been hostile to you as soon as you walked out it's okay it's good role play let's you know let's uh it lets the other players kind of develop their characters more into you know uh you know, murderous, racist uh, people, but uh, <laughs> right, <laughs> that's okay. You know, I remember at one point one person said, "I was like, why are you, why are you shooting them? They're not doing anything. They're like, they're goblins. They're evil." Yeah, exactly. I'm we like, all know whoa, 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 whoa. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, Jason, you, uh, earlier you had said that you thought that um, there were some parts that were tedious in this campaign. Uh, yeah. Like what? Um, what yeah, why don't you why don't you dive into that a little bit? Yeah, so I like I said that there were parts of this campaign that I really enjoyed. Uh, Nick hit on one of them is the setting. You know, obviously we're up in the northern part of the of the map, um, and you know, near the I think 
it, there were some really cool parts where we would get almost transported to magical realms where we had to accomplish certain feats, certain trials. And those parts I really enjoyed because you felt like you were somewhere with strict purpose towards accomplishing your overarching goal. Do you have some, were, sorry, do you have some examples of that? Um, well, um, and this is where I get fuzzy on details, but at one point we were doing the trials, right? Oh, yeah, that's right. And, and when, when we did the trials, um, I, I can't remember if it was you, we would go into rooms through doors or we would touch yep. something. But, yeah, and you would go through it and it transported whoever went in together. It would They would be transported to a completely, like, part of, like, almost like a frozen wa- – part of the frozen wasteland. But it was this cornered-off area where there was this environment that you had to deal with. And on one hand, on one, we got transported to a tribe that was, like – uh, they were starving to death out there because they hadn't been able to get in any game, and they were having to ch- they were having to make tough choices with their population, and oh, yeah. we we had to make a decision on how we were going to act, having seen what they were doing to their populace, uh, and then once we made our choice and our decision, uh, we were transported back, and so I really liked how there were there were these little areas that we would go visit. Another one was um, it was kind of like the, uh, the the graveyard area where there was the the mirror that gave us the wishes. Oh, yeah, right. Yeah, that, yep. there were areas that felt very like they developed the world around us um, and they gave us um, they gave us things that helped us in our overarching goal uh, yeah. there. Then there were other thing. There were other parts that were interesting, but I felt like were distractions um, at times. Uh, but that you know, and that's okay because sometimes people like side quests. Um, and I think if you if you meet, I'll say this: I think if you meet often to play, then side quests are more appealing because you uh-huh. can do character development and get experience and build your character. I think when you only meet once a month. Side quests can kind of seem like a, dist- a distraction from an overarching story that you're still trying to kind of keep in the forefront of your head when you're only meeting every 30 days as a group. So uh, what what did you feel like was a, a distraction in the in the book? Um, I felt like the um, the while I enjoyed it, I felt the wolf tribe or the tribe of wolverines or uh-huh. wolverines um, uh, the lichens. Yeah, was cool, but I, I didn't feel like it was an overarching. Uh, it didn't help us. I feel like we kind of went out there, did our stuff, and then we got, and then we started making our way back towards the ten towns to do stuff. Yeah, um, yeah, I, that was a, that was kind of like a. Oh, by the way, Barbotha needs you to go do this while she yeah. figures out how to cure. Now, and I know, can get that if you're doing character development, you know. Yeah. And that's why I say that. But I think it there was some. It was a little bit of a distraction. The other uh-huh. thing was, uh, and I could be wrong on this, but the um, maybe I missed the point. But the mind flayer ship. Oh yeah, I thought it was really cool, but didn't really didn't really see the longevity of it in respect to the overarching campaign. I thought that the mind flare ship was the most out of place quest in the entire book. Yeah, it it, it just felt didn't like feel part of the part of the total narrative. And and it was really cool to get the laser pistol, <laughs> but. It was hard to use. And a laser pistol in D and D. Yeah, right. I, I mean, one of my friends or one of my coworkers uh, was actually is actually running Run of, Rhyme of the Frost Maiden, 
just for kicks and giggles, I pulled up my D and D Beyond character sheet so he could see it. And he was scrolling through, and he goes, "Laser pistol." <laughs> and I was like, "Yeah, uh, you'll read this a little bit later in the book, but there's a mind flayer ship." And he was like, "Okay, yeah, but laser pistol." And I'm like, "Yeah, I know. It's it's just there. I'm just never gonna let go of it. <laughs> it's on my character sheet." And and uh, we ended up at the mind flayer thing because you guys had discovered a mind flayer skull. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And one of the players had kind of bound to it. And so now he had this like pinging alarm in his brain. It was causing the brain prob the brain problems. And that's yeah. when like it, th- you can absolutely tie side quests and monotony. You can tie them into player development and yeah. character development and you can make them part of the journey mm-hmm. for sure. But, um, when I step back as someone who plays a lot of these games and kind of analyzes the system and the mechanics afterwards, I think, yeah, but was it actually necessary to tell the story of Rime of the Frostmaiden? Yeah. And I don't know if it was. I think that there were some other quests that we did not even get to. Uh, I mean, there's a lot of quests that we didn't get to because you guys started on the western half of the town and we didn't mm-hmm. even really get to the eastern half of the town that would have pushed you in different areas had you gone sort of that way. Um, there's a, there's a bunch of stuff that we didn't really even get to that I think would have been more in line with the narrative. Um, but because you, because of certain choices that were made early on, it sort of Mm -hmm. lent itself to do those other things. Right. Uh, and I, I think the wolf tribe totally, I told, I think narratively it totally fit in there, but I understand what you're saying, which is like, okay, it just kind of felt like one of those you know, MMO, RPG, like, go do this and come back and turn in your quest um, type of things, right? So it didn't really feel like it pushed the narrative that much. Yeah, the other other one, just to kind of jump back in, is um, near the end, you spend the majority of the – you're going to spend the majority of your time kind of diving into an ice cave. Mm -hmm. And I love the concept of going into an underground ice cave and going to an underground city that had been buried – kind of deep below the ice uh, for a long time. But I felt like the journey down to the uh, down to the the frozen city mm-hmm. um, was a little bit kind of like, let's get through this maze as fast as we can. Uh, and, right. and the game kind of put a mechanic in there that did try to encourage you to hurry with the hunger mechanic. We were like yeah. always hungry. Um, and so I get that, but I feel like I feel like some of those things, and, and not for you as a GM, but just because there was a lot of material mm-hmm. to accomplish there, I think that maybe it was there was just too much, too much stuff for those parts that the players were in, were kind of mechanically encouraged to run through anyways. Mm-hmm. Um, and so it probably it put a, a little bit of a challenge on you as a GM is like, what do I do with all this content when the players are just going to try to rush through once they figure out what's going on anyways? Uh, and and that kind of led to the last part where, you know, the uh, really cool that you had to kind of visit each tower's puzzle. But, gosh, I feel like we spent th- four months in that last part of the city, like, doing uh, one tower, one to one and a half towers a session. Um, yeah, and I didn't, I didn't make those towers really any more complicated than they were written in the book. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like I didn't, I didn't embellish it. I didn't, uh, I didn't come up with my own stuff. Oh, the the one thing I did, I did do a little bit more of was the three hags. Um, yeah, that, and, and that was perfect. The yeah. three hags was great. I guess my point with this is, um, when you're when you're planning, and not you, I'm talking about the yeah. people who wrote the book, the people who wrote the book. When you're planning 
you know, an RPG system or a setting like this, re- recognize that unless people are just playing a dungeon crawl, Mm-hmm. they're going to spend a lot of time in the individual locations of the setting that you create role-playing in those settings. Mm-hmm. So if you make uh, seven, uh, what was it, seven towers or something like that? Nine. There's nine. nine towers. If you or make eight. nine, eight towers, sorry. Eight. Eight. if you make eight towers, all with puzzles, all with opportunities to role-play, all with opportunities for combat, that is going to consume an enormous amount of actual real time to play the game if you have a group that that is going to role play in that which puts the onus on someone like you like a gm to decide do i cut this content do i simplify it so on one hand someone could say well it was there you could use it if you don't want to use it but i'm just maybe putting um putting a word of caution out there if somebody wants to run this campaign that you will you could potentially spend an awful amount of time there depending on how your players like to play the game if they like to role play a lot uh and so just be prepared for that i felt like it kind of drug on a little bit like it at one point we were kind of like all right let's get to the next tower and do the puzzle in that (laughs) tower and fight the thing in that tower and get the last little bit of clue from that tower and then we'll go to the next tower and so it was kind of dragging on a little bit for me there at the end yeah what did you think about the ending nick um I thought that, uh, like Jason, that the ending was a little too long uh-huh. um, to get all the parts that we needed. Now, right. granted, it would have gone faster if we'd uh, if if Velen hadn't decided to leave us and <laughs> we, we had Professor Scant. Right. Yep. Uh, okay. Yeah, which you guys which, did not get Professor which Scant. Which Jason repeatedly told us we should go look for when we were on the island. Um, the rest of them are like, ah, we don't need him. Who cares about him? All right, let's just go <laughs> freeze ourselves. Yep. But yes, um, going through all of those towers, and and I'm sure that there were probably many other buildings that had other treasures in them too. There were. There's a lot. Um, but basically, to investigate a whole city could have been the whole uh, a whole another. Um, adventure as opposed to just this you know just being a chapter yeah and uh so okay so we get in there and we fight some nothics and some tomb tappers and other things like that um and we and we go and find things it's like there there just there is just so much now i mean if we were going to play this for years awesome yeah yeah awesome but when but when we decided that you know we're gonna cut it we're gonna in the next few sessions be done it's like okay all right i gotta i gotta all right what am i what do i want to do all right so we're let's do the towers let's forget the rest of it um and and see what we're going to do because when we were going up in that tower i'm starting to think we're trying to get the orb downstairs to to work so that we can control the weather why are we going upstairs to get us to get a staff that can be put into an obelisk to turn back time well that's not the goal right the goal was to get the thing downstairs to bring warmth back to the dale Mm -hmm. and and it's like i would have loved to have well we wound up doing both but i mean i would have loved to have done one than the other and and had whatever adventures getting one than the other because it, it could have been a, a a 
uh, a total loss. If we'd have gone upstairs and just been killed, then we, we have accomplished nothing. We yeah, didn't and, bring. And you well, almost died upstairs. With yes. That lich. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yep. You were one guardian, uh, spirit guardian strike away from all dying, pretty much. Yeah. Yes. Now, now I'll say I felt once once we did the towers and we were able to get into the central area. Uh-huh. That from that point forward, I enjoyed a lot. I enjoyed okay. that part forward uh, completely. Uh, I guess my point was nine towers. If I was running this, I probably would have cut that down to three. Yeah. I would have cut it like to three and just said, like yeah, that, yeah, three or four and said the rest were just kind of already in place. Like maybe the rest had never become corrupted with time and they were in place. You only needed those four or something like that. Yeah. But but once you got that, once we got that, the rest of it I thought was really, I was really enjoyable. You know, the, the having to figure out how to get into kind of the, the, the room through the, uh, with the different things we learned. Um, fighting the lich, um, exploring this, the, you know, his study, going back down. That stuff was all, f- that stuff was all fun and, uh, and enjoyable, especially doing it with, um, what's her name? Avarice. Uh, Avarice. Yeah. Avarice. That, that, that played a really fun part with the role play there and the traps that were in that part of the tower that we had to kind of figure out how to deal with. That was really cool. It was just the tower part that caught a little bit monotonous for me. Yeah. Uh, I kind of like reading ahead for our last session right i was like avarice needs to be here because there's too many points where if i don't give the players enough clues or if they don't have like the magic that they need they're gonna get stuck mm-hmm. you know yep. and oh, sure. so and so i said um she needs to be here and she needs to be friendly you know like she can't <laughs> right she can't be another villain that's she not can't be a goblin exactly because she'll be killed instantly <laughs> so um that's pretty good i i agree with the towers it's funny because you look at the chapters of the book right and it's like chapter one chapter two chapter three chapter four like you you kind of move through those chapters pretty quickly even up to chapter six like you get through it pretty quick and then you hit chapter seven and then you're just like it's it that's like the second half of the campaign is almost in that one chapter so there your guys are absolutely right in my opinion about like this whole city is an adventure almost unto itself which is cool if you're planning to play every week and you're like hey like we're just going to keep going and there's all of these we didn't you guys didn't need not even explore half of the buildings that were there yeah not even half of them you know, and I wasn't trying to encourage you to explore all the rest of them because it was just extra things to do, you know, that really didn't play a part in it. Now, there was one building that could have helped you, which was that chalice thing that would have given you some magic that you could have then, you know, um, used to go through the portals and the, you know, the, the, the puzzle at the end of the tower. Um, yeah, but, but that, I mean, that's another example, though, like. You know, yeah. unless you have a good GM that knows they can move the cheese, right? You can move yep. the chalice to put it yep. in the player's way. Like if you have a hardcore strict GM, they're going to have to search the entire town to potentially run into that chalice place that could help them. Yeah. If they had no magic magic users in the party. Well, and here was the tricky thing. I had read about that building and the chalice, and I'm like, oh, that's cool. They get access to magic and a spell. Well, that's cool. You know, awesome. It wasn't until later when I had prepped the spire, well after you guys had been done with like exploring the city, that I'm like, oh crap, they probably should have gone to that building. Mm. 
You know what I mean? Because there's nothing that said, hey, if your players drink this, they may need it again in the spire later. You know, like I had to have read like the entire book, which I just didn't have time to like pour through to then connect that one building out of literally 30 buildings, that one building with that one puzzle that, you know, and you're like, oh, geez. So I would have absolutely moved the cheese had I known that that's where I needed to move it to, you know, but um but but that didn't that didn't work out. So I, I agree. I felt like um, the pacing in the beginning of the book was very good. Like the quests and the adventures that you guys would do, like pretty quick, pretty easy, pretty fun. Lots of fun role play. Lots of like different things to do. The Shardland dragon that came down was a yeah, lot of fun. That was a lot of fun. I really I think about that dragon all the time. Yeah, that you know where it's like a race against time. You get down, you're like, oh my gosh, it's gone half the city. Let's let's try to meet it on the other end, you know. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And like that was a lot of fun. And then we get to the hunger caves once you finally open it up, and it just slowed down. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And I I felt it as a GM, and I think you guys felt it as players. Yeah, for sure, for sure. You know? Um, I will say the uh. The Frost Maiden herself, the battle at the end. I loved the the mechanic of her having three different phases. Yeah. Where she was three different things. I do feel like at the end of that, you know, if this is a level if it was intended for a party of level ten characters, um, I think there needed to be more than just her in that battle. I know we started with uh like a couple mobs, maybe yeah. three or three mobs or four mobs. Yep. I think for a layer level ten player, I know that we almost lost two folks, but I, uh, my opinion, I think we almost lost two folks just because we made some we made some uh, tactical hiccups um, yeah. in it. I, I feel like if you had some really seasoned lo- uh, level ten players, that she would that last fight would not have been that much of a challenge. Right, right, yeah. But it was yeah. still cool. I loved the the three phase transition to see her three forms. That was really cool. Yeah, yes. that was yep. cool. That was cool. And and it was like, oh, my gosh, she's harder to hit now. Mm-hmm. You know, yep. like <laughs> she gets harder every time. That was good. Yeah, exactly. So um, it was good. I What did you think of her as like a, the, the overarching villain for the story? Go ahead, Nick. Um, she was. <clears throat> I guess she was too Thanosy at in in. In the beginning, okay, we didn't see her, we didn't hear from her, we didn't really do much of anything about her. We only saw Sephic and and then the one Frost Druid. Mm-hmm. She was kind of like absentee landlord in the beginning. Yeah. But once we got to the island and she stepped on us once, then that put the fear of her and me definitely. And and uh, then it's like okay. What if we can't handle her now? How are we going to handle her a little bit later? Yeah, and and it and it's like okay, now that she knows we're here, we know she knows we're here. <laughs> where can we hide? <laughs> right. Yeah, yeah. I I tried to do. There's one point where you guys were looking for the um the uh, giant's eye which was that giant diamond that you needed to heal yourself remember oh the jarl's eye yep the the jarl's eye that's right um which uh, i kind of made as like the you know the um uh just the little object that you guys needed to look for um as just just part of to tie the quest in right 
of this of this little thing. Um, but there was that one frost druid that you guys ran into that annoyed the crap out of you, right? Get off my mountain. This is my mountain. Yes. Uh, <laughs> and and then she but she was basically telling you guys like, um, she knows who you are. You know, you better stop. You know, and and so I tried to kind of leave a little bit like you were starting to draw her attention a little bit more. Um, but I agree. Like she kind of was an absentee landlord for a little bit, and um, you know that's uh, that's where she was at. So I, I thought she was okay though, as a as a as a kind of a villain. Um, probably I probably could have done a better job of like maybe like her visiting you guys in your dreams or something like that to like like lay the lay the foundation mm-hmm. a little bit more or something that would have been I think a little bit more interesting. I think that would have been a cool touch, the dream touch. I I, I will say I felt um, I didn't quite get the impression that she wasn't helping us early on. Uh, mm. Like the trials, I feel like the trials were like, oh, is she is she trying to give us insight as to how we could defeat her? Or like it felt a little. At times, it felt a little like uh, scripted, and mm-hmm. obviously it's coming out of a book. But uh, scripted in terms of a, a villain that reveals too much at the key time for the heroes to know what they need to defeat her, <laughs> right? Um, versus, you know, like um, if she was very like from the moment she saw us, you know, obviously she didn't take us, she didn't really care about us that much at first. So she was kind of like chuckling as she was. If she was finding us and she showed us that she mm-hmm. didn't need to care about us yeah. at first. But then I think from that point forward, I think once we started to become a threat, um, uh, I feel like there wasn't really much interaction from her at all until she popped at the very end. Yeah. Yeah, I, I agree with that. I think um, I, I totally agree with that. And, in fact, I was going to say something very similar, which was uh, – that you know i i i would have liked i think for her to be almost so far above you so deified mm-hmm. that you guys could not have touched her like there's no way you could have done anything as it was when you guys fought her that one time that you did you took her to her second level at least you know um and i think almost she almost went to her third um if i'm not mistaken so you guys like did some damage to her that first time that you guys fought her for sure. Um, but, um, I feel like that was almost too, like she, she should have just fly swatted you guys at that point. Like get out of my thing. You know what I mean? Yep. Um, and then you guys should have gone not only just to change the weather, but found like a weapon that would have brought her down a few notches, made her more mortal, made her weaker. Like you found something like maybe the staff of power had like this one, one spell that you could cast it, and then all of a sudden it weakened her, and that's what drew her to you. Uh, the book had a terrible way, in my opinion, of the final battle. It was just like, oh, she found out you're in that city, so she shows up. What? Like how lame is that? Do you know what I mean? Like, mm-hmm. I I I wish that it would have directed you to say like, there's a spell in. In this, uh, you know, Ariel Larthus's study, that would make her mortal. You know, she still has a ton of power, but now she can take damage. Now she is mortal, 
And so you guys had to read that spell, and then she's like, uh-oh, I'm in real trouble now. i got to handle this threat. You know, that would have – I think that would have been more compelling to me. Yes. Um, yep. You know, so I just didn't feel like it – you know, you guys did all this stuff to like, okay, well, we're going to change the weather. But it's like, okay, cool. Is that it? You know, like, that's it. So I, I don't know. Uh, overall, let's let's wrap this up a little bit. But overall, like, what grade would you give this book? Um, you know, letter grade. What would you would you give it, Jason? Well, not having actually, you know, poured through the book, yeah. so I'm mine's going to be based off of you know the campaign itself. Yep. Um, I think if we were going to give it like a school letter grade, I would probably give it an A minus or okay. a B plus. Uh, yeah. Like I said, I felt, and you kind of alluded to it, my biggest, my biggest. Um, gripe. I'll say the gripe first. My biggest gripe is the the lengthening out and the duration of the end game mm-hmm. portion. Uh, my favorite part was the uh, the uniqueness of the setting and how even though it was in this vast cold winter world for the whole time we played the campaign, I felt like we still went to interesting areas inside of that setting mm-hmm, uh mm-hmm. so i thought that was uh, really good so yeah be somewhere between a b plus and an a minus if i i've got to make a choice i'm probably going to say a b plus okay cool what about you nick uh, now having actually looked at it um because i tried not to look at it when we were playing right. it um i didn't i would give it an a because there are things in there like there's a dragon there's a white dragon in there yes which there I, is and it's like, oh wow, a white dragon, okay. And uh, and there's uh, since I'm a furbogue, there is a quest with the beer for for a verbogue. Yeah. Other giants, and it's like, oh, that might have been cool to look at too. And so um, my gripe would be, unless you play every week. And you wanted to do the book completely, it's going to be like five years. <laughs> right. It's true. <laughs> so, it's true. Yeah. So it's just too much content for your money. Yes. <laughs> That's what you're saying. What a terrible problem to I know, have, right? <laughs> Horrible. <laughs> In today's day and age, what do they think? Uh, yeah. Look, I think uh, having played Out of the Abyss, um, having run The Minds of Fandelver, having run for my kids, right? Having run um, the Horde of the Dragon Queen a little bit. I didn't complete it, but uh, Horde of the Dragon Queen a little bit for my kids as well. Um, this book was very unique to me in that the way that Ten Towns allowed it to be very sandboxy in the beginning until you got your footing and then it sort of it started to push you into the main campaign right the main quest i think that that is a fantastic approach for a pre-published book because books are going to naturally be railroady at the end they have to be right they got to get you to a conclusion at some point right you can't just like kind of wander around aimlessly figuring out things to do like the book is going to get you to the end of the book so um the style that they have, I give it an A that way. Um, what will knock it down from like a 100 to maybe like a 94, which is like the top of the A minus, but maybe the bottom of the A, is again the ending dragged on a little too long and, and it, everything that you said, Jason. There, so um, I, I'd give it a 94 out of 100, which is an A. You know, a 93 would be an A minus type of thing. Um, so I, I thought it was good. It was a lot of fun to run. 
It gave a lot of opportunity for role play, uh, a lot of opportunity to put your unique spin on it, which, you know, any any good GM is going to do that anyway. But um, this really gave you enough material to make it your own as well. So um, I, I think it's a I think it's a good book. Very good book. I highly recommend playing it. So, yeah, very cool. Yeah. Well, Nick, thank you for joining us on uh, tonight's podcast. We appreciate you coming and giving your insights. Well, thank you for having me on. Yeah, it was it was great having you here. It was uh, fun to talk shop, especially remembering some of these things that we did almost a year and a half ago. And uh, so, yeah, a lot of lot of lot of great times there. Uh, thank you everybody for listening. Uh, be sure to follow us on Facebook, on Twitter, and uh, and even on YouTube. So we look forward to um, our next episode. If you've got any questions or comments, or you know want to send us some love or whatever, just uh, hit us up and let us know. So we thank you for listening, and have a great night, everybody. See you.